0: All right, if you would take your Bible and turn to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, John chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 11 through 13, where it says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the message this morning is, what is salvation? What is salvation? And I'm going to read our statement of faith, the doctrine of salvation in our, in our Constitution, where it says, We believe that the salvation of sinners is wholly of grace, "...through faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, which faith is a gift of God, that all who receive him are regenerated instantaneously by the Holy Spirit, and thus become children of God, that no rite, ceremony, sacrament, or work can avail the sinner's salvation or make the believer's salvation more secure, that Christ is the only and all-sufficient Savior... That the believer is legally justified by God, that sanctification is an act at the moment of regeneration as well as a process throughout life whereby God conforms the believer into the image of Christ, that every believer has two natures, the old which is natural and sinful, and the new which is spiritual and religious or righteous, I'm sorry. That the two natures are in constant conflict, and that the victory of the new nature is only wrought in the life by the power of God to the decree degree, degree that the believer submits to the word of God and the Holy Spirit, that all who are saved are kept forever by the power of God and therefore cannot lose their salvation, that all believers will be changed into his likeness when Christ comes for his saints in the rapture, that the only sure proof of salvation before men is the lifelong continued profession and practice of biblical faith and Christian works, and that the systems of Calvinism and Arminianism are man-made systems which are not faithful to the teachings of Scripture. So, you know, it starts out here, I want to emphasize a couple points in this statement. We believe that the salvation of sinners is wholly of grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, which faith is a gift of God. And then the last statement there, or part of this statement, you know, this is one of those run-on sentences like Paul would write in, you know, in the book of Ephesians, Um, Anyway, it says that that the only sure proof of salvation before men is the lifelong continued profession and practice of biblical faith and Christian works. So when a person is truly born again, there's a continuation of life, of life. So this morning I'm going to look at, I'm going to look, when to some uh spend some time looking at what is salvation so let's pray and then we will look at this heavenly father would we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word we thank you father for uh, your word that instructs us and gives us understanding into thy truth through this blessed holy your blessed holy spirit who is the author of this book and i pray that as we uh, look into the Word of God today and consider this subject. I pray that the Spirit of God would would open our understanding most of all and help us to see the truths that we need to see today and have a clear understanding of what salvation really is. Lord, we pray that there would be any in our midst who have never been born again truly by the Spirit of God, have been given the divine life of God through the Spirit. I pray that today they'd be convinced and convicted and Father would, would make that... Uh, uh, choice, surrender their will and their life to you and put their faith and trust in you. So Lord, just have your will and way, and may you be glorified, we do pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what is salvation? Uh, You know, the word salvation, a basic definition is deliverance, Uh, and the idea of salvation is to be delivered from the penalty of sin, and we know that the wages of sin is death, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, uh, the, the Lord told Adam and Eve, They ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Now, from a human standpoint, they did not die. They continued to live all of them. Adam lived 900 and some years before he died physically. But the day they ate of that forbidden fruit, the day they rebelled and disobeyed God, they were separated from God. And that's what death really means—separated from God. Ye who were dead and trespassed, ye who are separated from God, you do not have the life of God in you. Is what Ephesians two is referring to there? That's what death really means. And so, uh, salvation means deliverance from the penalty of sin. There's words in the Bible that are used interchangeably with the word salvation. We use "born again," the new birth, uh, repentance, and faith. Uh, are, are talking about the new birth. Uh, and so there's, there's many words interchangeably, in, in but I want to know first of all, what it is not. What salvation is not. And you'll hear people say things like this, well, I read my Bible every day. I knew a missionary. He got saved when he was 39 years old. He said, I read the Bible every day of my life. He said, I thought it was the dumbest book I ever read. Until he got saved. He said I never understood it. See people will say I read. I, well I read my Bible every day. Or I, you know, I hear this one quite often. Well I pray every day. I say my prayers every day. Yeah. Cornelius was praying too. And fasting. But he wasn't saved. In fact the, the Bible tells us. That the, 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 the Pharisee. You know bragged about. How he prayed every day. You're not saved because you pray every day or you pray to prayer. A prayer doesn't save you. Well, I give money to the church. I have morals. I'm a good person. I even tell others about Jesus, about church. You know, all these have a common denominator. I. I. But look with me, if you will, at Luke chapter 18. i want to give you several illustrations of why that doesn't really mean anything. It just may mean someone's religious. Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus, notice, with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, is, or even as this publican. Now a publican is a tax collector, and a publican is, is a, was really considered kind of a traitor to his own people. He's a Jewish man that collected taxes for the Roman government, and Jews looked upon them as tra- traitors. You know, they were, they were working for the Romans. And they also had the, the right to to be unjust in their tax dealings. So so they were not looked upon very well by the people. So he says, I'm not even like this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes at all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off will not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, and that word justified means declared righteous, rather than the other, that is the Pharisee, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So his saying prayers, and him saying, I'm a good moral man, and I, I even, you know, I fast, I deny my, myself the pleasures of life at times uh, to, to, to focus on, on God. He was doing all those things, but they were doing them for himself. Verse 18, again, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. Thou knowest commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor. and Thou shalt treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. So, you know, he, again, you know, I be the man uh, was a good man. By world standards. By religious standards. But what he didn't realize is he fell short of God's standards. He wasn't willing to surrender his will to God. See, God's not after your money. The money isn't the issue here. Yeah, a lot of people look at this and say the money is the issue. No, the money isn't the issue. The, the issue is he, will not willing to, he was not willing to surrender his whole life to God. He wanted to hang on to that money that he had, that position that he had, his ambitions in life. He wanted to hang on. He didn't want to give that to the Lord. No, that's mine. What was he doing? He was not accepting him as his Lord, as his creator, as the one who had the right to rule over him. You know, that's really what the Pharisee says, we will not have this man to rule over us. You know, all these, we're talking about here, all these are works. Many times you'll hear this statement, well, I've done that. I had a guy tell me not too long ago, well, I've done that. Now, I was scratching my head, you know, how, how do I answer that? And I'm trying to get together with him again, but he's away three or four weeks at a time. Baptism. What does baptism mean? You bury yourself. You, so, so you know, so you talk to people who you know who don't have interest in obedience to the Lord, and you begin to talk with them, and that is what they say. Well, I've done that. I've gone forward, I've prayed a prayer, but nothing changes. Oh, it is not a prayer. It is not reading your Bible. It's not all. It's not doing. See, salvation is a work of God that changes the heart. Uh, I want to look at, look at uh, again, verse 12 said of our text says, but as many as received him. It is simply a receiving of him. Now, I want to go into a little bit detail what that means. You know, so, salvation is a work of God that changes the heart. In Titus chapter three and verses verse five through seven, Titus three, verse five through seven says not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So it's, it's not by anything that we do. It's not by any works that we do. Not by something we've done. You know, we, it's not by a, a prayer that we may pray. Or you, know, you may express it in a prayer, but that prayer won't save you. It's a matter of the heart. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And 10 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. What's that next word? Created. You see, it's a creation. It's something that God creates in your life. What did you have to do to be born? Well, I didn't do anything. You know, my parents took care of that. I didn't do a thing. I'm just the benefit of them. Okay? The new birth is the same way. We don't do anything. It is the gift of God. It's a creation of God. We are created in Christ and that word created here means equivalent to or to form or shape to completely change to transform. It's a new creation of the soul in intimate fellowship with Christ constituted to do good works. See the good works are the fruit of that new birth. They're the fruit of that. So it is a work of God that changes the heart through it's a, the it's a change of heart. Now, I want you to notice, secondly, some requirements for salvation, some requirements for salvation. Uh, and there are several of these, and, and this really isn't in order, but first of all, we have to be convinced we are sinners. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, and again, these are familiar verses, Romans 3 and verse 10, he says, there is none righteous, as written, there is none righteous, no, not one." There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And then verse 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7.20, There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. See, we have to be convinced that we are sinners. Now, most people don't have a problem with that. Most people know that they do things that are wrong. That's not a problem. But the problem is many are not convinced that their sin is against God. See, we have not only be convinced we're sinners, we have to be convinced that our sin is an offense against God. In Genesis chapter 2, when God gave the prohibition to um, Adam and Eve, you know, God gave them that prohibition. And and he said in Genesis two verse fifteen, the Lord took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou shalt that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So it was God that gave the prohibition or the commandment not to eat. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so their sin was against God. But I have you know that every sin is against God. Look at Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59, verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you, and y- between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood. Now, let me ask you something. Were they killing God? If their hands are defiled, talking about shedding blood, or their hands, he said, your, your hands are defiled with blood. Are they killing God? No. They're killing men or women or babies. You know, this may have been written during Manasseh's time. Manasseh was king during, during uh, Isaiah's uh, prophecy, and Manasseh, remember, burned his sons on the altar. Your fingers, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Who were they lying to? Your tongue have muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Who do you, who are they commit mischief against? You see, when we sin against our fellow man, we are also sinning against the commandments of God. Because it was God that said, "Thou shalt not kill." It was God that said, "Thou shalt not covet." It is God that said, "Thou shalt not steal." It is God that says, "Thou shalt not bear false witness." You see, every sin we commit is also against man, is also a sin against God. Look at Romans chapter three, verse 19. Romans three verse 19. It says, we know, now we know, that whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. You see, we aren't just guilty before our fellow man, we are guilty before God. You know, it is God that said, you do unto others as you would have others as do unto you. Now, we call that the golden rule. That golden rule won't save you. But we're to, do, we're, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. It was God that said that. And when we don't, it's not just our neighbor we're sinning against. It's God we're sinning against. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> Verse 5. Whoso shall receive one such a little child in my name, receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. "'Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. "'But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. "'Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off, and cast them from thee. "'It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. "'If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. "'It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell.' Take heed, you spies, not one of these little ones. For I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. You know, this is a pretty emphatic statement Jesus is making here about offending little ones. He's talking about children. But really, he's talking about offending your fellow man. And he said, my angels, they do hold face of my father's heaven even better better to have a millstone cast about your neck and thrown in the deepest sea than defend one of these little ones because you're going to have to face God for what you've done see the point is our sin is against God it's an offense against God you know the children of Isaiah's day and they were doing these things against people but it was in disobedience to God you know, this is where there is much un- misunderstanding, I believe, today, because of a lack of authoritarian fathers. See, we don't like that word, authority, anymore. And we, we in our modern enlightened age, are rebuffed at a patriarchal society. We're trying to get away from that. Fathers that would command their children in the households after them—that's that's that's archaic. I remember Bill Rice the third saying one time he was in a he was in a preaching at a, at a service and and uh, his wife was sitting like toward the, toward the front and instead of a young whippersnapper snapper behind him and, and he said he after he was preaching for a while this young whippersnapper whispered to his friend he's an authoritarian as if that was some disease. You see, what do I mean by authoritarian fathers? Fathers that correct their children, that discipline their children. Go to, go to uh, Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23 and verses 13 14 says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. You know, the Bible is teaching here that correction from fathers goes a long way to the salvation of our souls. In fact, to not receive ever receive correction from your father is going to make it more difficult for you to get saved. Hebrews. This, this is brought out in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> and verse 5. Ye have forgotten the exhortation that speaks unto you as unto children. My son... "'Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked to him. "'For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. "'If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. "'For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? "'But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, "'then are you bastards, and not sons? Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, "'and we gave them reverence. "'Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, and live?' For they verily for a few days chastened us at our own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now the Bible is here telling us that as God's children, God is going to chasten us. But you know, the problem many people have is they can't imagine a God who would do such a thing. Because they never had parents that corrected them. And they're rebuffed at the idea. that God and and this is where we get this concept that God is a God of love he just loves everybody he won't judge anyone that's contrary to what the Bible teaches God is a holy and righteous God a God of judgment and justice And so we need to be convinced that our sin is against God. John R. Rice in one of his books I read years ago told of an unsaved man he knew who had several children but this unsaved man disciplined and corrected his children. But he didn't he didn't want he he, he could not be led to the, to the Lord. He he would not receive the gospel. But he said I led every one of his children to the Lord. He said it was like picking ripe fruit because they had already learned to accept authority because they'd been corrected by their fathers. And that's what Proverbs 23 is all about 14, 13, 14. See, they understood authority. In Acts 20, 20, 21 says, Testifying both to Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God. And faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we have to understand that our sin is against God. But thirdly, and this really goes along with this, there must be an acceptance of the person of God. And this this is kind of where you know repentance comes in. But look at Acts chapter 14. And this is this is a real problem even in our day and of course it was always has always been a problem in Acts 14 uh, verse uh, uh, see where where am i verse 13 of course they had just healed this impotent man Paul and Barnabas and said then the priest of Jupiter which before the city brought oxen and garlands with unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that there are therein, who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left him not himself that witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness." So, you know, they had a wrong understanding of who God was. Uh, and then in chapter 17, again, at Athens, uh, says Paul stood, in verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. In other words, you're too religious. For as I pass by and behold your devotions, I found an altar under this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth all life, breath, and all things, hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in the face of the earth, hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him, and find him, though he be very far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as so, and also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we the, the, are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art or man's decree or device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world righteousness by that man which he, whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. Now, think about the things that Paul mentions here in this short passage. In other words, this is a God, that we're talking about, Paul said, I'm talking about the God that I'm declaring to you is the God that made the world. He's the creator. Uh, he's made everything that's therein. He dwells not in temples made with hands. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is a spirit. Uh, He's made man. He set the boundaries of man. Uh, He set the boundaries of the sea, all these things. Uh, He said he he is our creator. We are his offspring. We've been created by him. We've been created to worship him. Uh, He's not made to be worshipped by a stone or an idol or something like that. And he commands us to repent, and he says, he, "But he's also going to be our judge. He's going to judge us. He's going to judge the world. He's going to judge all men. And he's going to judge us by that man whom we have appointed, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, Christ is the mediator between us and God God's going to judge the world on righteousness there is a righteous standard that we have to make and the, meet and the only way we can meet it is through the death, burial and resurrection of this appointed one and notice he even says talks about the Godhead the Trinity. You see, before, we, before a person gets saved, they have to have some understanding of who God is and be willing to accept God as who he is. Too many people in our day and time have put God in this little box and made him out to be something they want him to be and have not accepted God for who he is. Oh, God's just all love. That's making God what you want. That's not accepting the God of the Bible for who He is. Yes, God is love. He loved us so much, He sent His Son. But He's also holy, He cannot justify the guilty. But see, these love people think everybody's going to be okay in the end. It's a lie. You know, everybody gets to God their own way. You know, all paths lead to God, just like all roads led to Rome. Well, all roads may have led to Rome in the day of the Roman Empire, but all paths do not lead to God. There is a way that seemeth right unto the man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, he talks about how the the princes of this world uh, slew him because they did not know him first Corinthians 2 verse verse 8 says which none of the princes of this world knew for had they known it they would not have crucified the lord of glory see they they didn't they didn't know who he was The word known here means it's employed in the New Testament of the knowledge of God and Christ of things relating to them or proceeding from them. So, So the word known here has the idea of knowing who he is and accepting him for who he is. And the men who slew Jesus said, we will not have this man rule over us. They would not believe. Jesus told them plainly, I and my father are one. And what, they, what was their response? They took up stones to stone him. They refused to believe that. Therefore, they did not know. But it was a willful not knowing. You see, they, the Jews would not accept that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. And this is what John declares very emphatically in, in 1 John chapter 5, and verse 10, where it says, "...He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son." And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And verse 20 says, And we know the Son of God has come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus Christ is the true God that was manifest to man. And this is eternal life. This life is in His Son. See, we have to accept the person of God. You know, an acceptance of the person of God means you accept the triune God. When Paul was talking to those at Athens, he said, the Godhead. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You know, and, but but and and receiving that Jesus is God, He is the Christ, He is the Anointed One, He is the chosen one to die for our sins. So there must be an acceptance of the person of God. And then thirdly, there needs to be a receiving of this person and His work for our sin. First uh, John chapter one again, verse twelve says, "But as many as received." Him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So there must be a reception, a receiving of the Lord Jesus Christ, and again it is the Lord Jesus Christ, as the the Lord and Savior. Uh, we have to receive Christ and His death and resurrection for our sin. We have to come to the conclusion that we believe that Christ died for my sin. That my only hope of salvation is in him and him alone. Is that not what Peter and John told the Pharisees? He said, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. See, 1 Corinthians 15 is very clear about this. In 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul, again, writing to the church of Corinth under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also you have received, there's that word received, and wherein you stand, but which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Again, there's our, our sins are against him. You know the reality of is. It is we have to admit we are guilty that it was my sin that put him on the cross. And you notice again he uses the word received here several times in this passage. Verse one, which you also received, verse three, for I devote you first of all that which I also Paul said, I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. To receive is, again, a willful choice. We must make a willful choice to receive him as our Lord and Savior. It means to put our trust in, our reliance upon. This This is not praying every day. It's not praying every day. You know, salvation is a once-for-all thing. It is a once-for-all thing. Now, I've known, and, you know, even my own life experience, you know, I made it kind of a profession earlier in life. Many people do that, but it wasn't genuine because it lacked, basically, many times it's because it lacked understanding. But when a person is born again, I believe they know it. Well, let's look a little bit at what, what it is. Go to good John, First John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out in the world. Now, when we're talking about spirits here, this word spirits, we're talking really about a teaching. Because notice he says false prophets. So there's false prophets that are going out in the world spreading false doctrine. So we're talking about doctrines that are being spread by spirits, evil spirits, false prophets. So we're not to believe everything we hear. No, we're to believe what the word of God says. We're to believe this record. Verse 2. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already is it in the world. So... When we say that every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ, the word Christ means anointed one. So we're talking about God manifest in the flesh. He's the anointed one from God manifest himself in the flesh to die for our sins. God manifest in the flesh. So the spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ. Chapter 5 verse 1 makes it a little bit plainer where it says in verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. See, there needs to be a declaration that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the God-man that died for my sins. You remember in Acts chapter 8, the eunuch wanted to get baptized. He said to Philip, What doth hinder me to get baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. The eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. And the Bible says that he went down into the water and he baptized him. Now he didn't pray a prayer, but he did declare, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's my Christ. He's my Lord and my Savior from sin. In Acts chapter 16, when the the jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And, of course, they baptized him. You know, Romans 10, 9, 10 says Thou shalt confess with thy mouth That's what the eunuch did And believe in thine heart That God hath raised him from the dead The resurrection proves that Jesus is the Christ He's God He was God in flesh He still is God See if you, if you believe that In your heart. Again, there's there's that willful choice. The heart speaks of the inner man. It's a surrender of the will. It's to put your trust or your reliance upon to save you from your sin. Let's go back to the rich young ruler. You see, his problem was he wasn't willing to commit his life. Jesus didn't want his money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God didn't need his money. What he wanted was him. God doesn't want your money. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. And what you need to do is surrender your will, your ambitions, your heart. See, salvation is not just, well, I know who Jesus is, or I prayed a prayer, or, I gave mental assent to. No, it's a surrender of the will. It's not about a great experience or a better life. No, it's about God bringing us into relationship with him, and brother Hall brought out this morning in Sunday school in Exodus nineteen four. It was about God bringing the children of Israel to Himself, into a relationship with Himself. Jesus said, "Come unto me, all ye that labour and heavy laden; come unto me, and I will give you rest." Mark, in Mark chapter nine. In verse 34, Mark 8, I'm sorry, Mark 8, 39, 34, Mark 8, 34, it says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, also he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, and the gospel is the same, shall save it. The rich young ruler was going to save his life. He wasn't willing to give up his life. That he might save it. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You see, we must receive him as our lord and as our savior and if there's a willingness you know there there are there are, there are many that turn away from the truth but where there's a willingness to receive truth god will draw that person to himself Cornelius was willing to receive the truth. The eunuch was willing to receive the truth. The jailer became willing to receive the truth. The question is, are you willing to receive the truth? If you're willing to receive the truth, God will manifest himself to you that you might receive him as your Lord and as your Savior. Do you know him today? To know him is eternal life. Have you surrendered your will, your heart to him?